This is God's word. Good, beautiful, and true. A song of ascents. They have greatly oppressed me from my youth. Let Israel say, they have greatly oppressed me from my youth, but they have not gained the victory over me. Plowmen have plowed my back and made their furrows long, but the Lord is righteous. He has cut me free from the cords of the wicked. May all who hate Zion be turned back in shame. May they be like grass on the roof, which withers before it can grow. A reaper cannot fill his hands with it, nor one who gathers fill his arms. May those who pass by not say to them, The blessing of the Lord be on you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you give us your word, the guidance that we receive through it. Most importantly, the vision we get through the spirit of who you are. So I pray this morning as we attend to the riches of your word that you would guide us here in this topic of anger um, for which we in this world need guidance. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Our nation is an angry place. It is an angry place, and it is only getting angrier. I was looking up stats this week, and road rage-related injuries and deaths, they're up. Um, They've more than doubled since 2016. Air rage, where people become violent on airplanes, that's increased by a thousand percent since 2019. Domestic abuse numbers are up. Distrust between people in different political parties is up drastically. Our nation is an incredibly angry place. And I don't just mean out there. Maybe you've noticed it in your own heart. Maybe you've got a shorter temper. Maybe you lash out at people. A little bit quicker. Well, I mean, we're impacted by the world we live in. And anger can be an incredibly dangerous thing. Anger can be a poison to relationships. It can be a poison to our own hearts. But anger can also be a good thing. When anger is the response to the wrong of the world, that's good. That's proper. Well, this psalm that we looked at, we just read, I think it gives us guidance. It helps us to understand what to do with that good anger, that righteous anger. To do what we're called to do with all of our emotions, to bring them to God and trust them to Him who can be trusted with our anger more than we can ourselves. You may be afraid of your anger, but God is not. In fact, in my first point here, God leads us into righteous anger. God leads us into righteous anger. As I said, sometimes anger is a good thing. I don't mean the divisions (laughs) of political party anger. I don't mean the air violence. I don't mean the road rage. But sometimes anger is a good thing. It's not always a good thing. More often than not, in our experience, our anger is not good at all. That's why it's crucial for us to understand the difference between righteous anger or good anger and unrighteous anger. Um, There's a lot that could be said here, but unrighteous anger... It's often rooted in selfishness or is self-serving. It's anger that is rooted because you feel like you didn't get what you want. And I don't mean in a justice kind of way. Um, I remember, mom's going to laugh, I remember I would get so angry at video games. (laughs) I can still hear her say, do you need to turn that off? That was not righteous anger. Even though I would demand, the game cheated. It's a computer thing didn't cheat on me. I just wasn't good. Anyway, that's not right. Unrighteous anger 
is often self-serving. It's often, often rooted in selfishness. You don't get what you want, and so you're angry. It's often outsized. And so unrighteous anger uh, will see something and get angry and want to respond not with an equal response, not a fitting response, but it will be an outside response. That's like, uh, apparently I'm telling personal stories this morning. I remember being in high school and I had a buddy who had a short temper. And I was at, we were at break and we used to get these delicious cookies. I'd eat my cookie and uh, probably thinking that sounds like kindergarten. This was ninth grade. Um, I threw the napkin at him jokingly and a little bit of the chocolate chip that was on, melted onto the napkin got on his, his pants. And he slapped me in the face. <laughs> now, should, should he gotten angry about the chocolate chip on his khakis? Yeah, probably. That's not a great thing. Should he slap me in the face? No. I don't want to tell stories, so I'm not going to say his name or anything. But, uh, yeah, that's not good anger. But at its root, unrighteous anger is anger that's detached from love. It has no love in it. It is just anger. It is fury. It burns up inside. So unrighteous anger is often rooted in selfishness. It's outsized, it's detached from love. And that kind of anger is never good. It's always poisonous. It's the opposite of righteous anger, which in turn is often rooted in concern for others. Righteous anger is when you see somebody else wronged and your heart gets angry. Righteous anger is fitting it doesn't ask to, you know, retaliate in a way that just blows somebody out of the water or harms them. Righteous anger is asking for a fitting, right response to something that's wrong. It's justice. And righteous anger is always filled with love and even compassion. Righteous anger holds a door open. Holds a door open for people to find a different way. And we're going to talk a little bit more this morning, mostly about righteous anger. That's where I want to focus our time. Because our psalm this morning, Psalm 129, it leads us in righteous anger. As I said, God leads us into righteous anger. He opens the door that we would walk into it. He doesn't say, turn it off. Don't pursue, you know, squash that anger down. No, with righteous anger, God says, yes, I'm angry at how people are harmed. I'm angry at the reality of sin and what it's done to my creation. Join me in, your, in my anger. <laughs> this is a psalm about righteous anger. Maybe uh, you've been mistreated or abused. Maybe you've been sinned against. Maybe you see other people wronged. And that emotion that kicks in, that says this is wrong and it needs to end, that's righteous. That's good anger. That's how we should respond to something that's truly wrong. And God leads us into righteous anger because he invites us to see the depth of the brokenness of our world. That's what this psalm does. Now I want you to consider the format of this psalm. It's very, it starts very interesting. They've greatly oppressed me from my youth. And then it says, let Israel say, they have greatly oppressed me from my youth. This is almost like a call and response in worship. Like we had our confession of, of faith where I asked a question and we responded together. It was kind of like an invitation for you to respond, and it's just part of our worship. That's kind of what this seems to be. 
that in Israel's worship at the temple, this was a moment for the airing of anger. Which I think points to this, that in the face of injustice, righteous anger is actually an act of worship. It recognizes that this thing in the world that belongs to my God is not right. And God leads us into that. He doesn't lead us around it. Maybe we should start putting that into our worship service from time to time. We have, we have moments of lament on occasion. Maybe we should have moments of anger. I don't know what that would look like. but The psalm speaks about oppression. Oppression. Oppression is when someone uses their power against someone else. Oppression. They press upon people to crush them. In individual actions and the building of systems that crush people. And the psalm uses graphic imagery here. Look at verse 3. The oppressor is a farmer who has dug his field into the back of people. That's violent. Dug his field into the back of people thinking that if he digs his field uh, by oppression on people, he will reap prosperity and reap fruit. He's treated people as a thing to be used to bring them prosperity. And that's terrible enough by itself, God giving us this image, this vision of what oppression actually is. But the psalm goes on to speak a little bit more. And it shows that oppression, in a sense, of people is an act of war against God. The psalm recognizes that when it turns to the second half. half. It says the oppression of God's people is faced is defined as, quote, hating Zion. Hating Zion. If you were here last week, you remember I mentioned the, the, the name Zion is this poetic name that Jerusalem was given in the Old Testament that pointed it to being God, uh, pointed to the reality of it being basically God's headquarters for what he was up to. The mission of God would start out of this city, Jerusalem. When it called it Zion, it was recognizing this is the unique place where God is operating from. This is HQ. And what this is saying in the psalm is that people who are mistreating other people to use them are not just doing wrong actions against those individual people. They are opposing God. After all, human beings are created in God's image. To, to, to seek to harm human beings is at its core to seek to harm God, in a sense. It's like a proxy war. In the 20th century, you know, we, we all know about the Cold War, Soviet Union and the U.S. They never actually directly fought, but they fought lots of proxy wars. That's what Vietnam was. That's what Korea was. It was indirect fighting of the Soviet Union through operations here. And the Soviets did it in Cuba. They did it in other, other, other places. Proxy wars, not direct. That's exactly what it is. When we harm other people, something in our heart is trying to start a proxy war against God because they are created in His image. And so when I say that God leads us into righteous anger in this psalm, He does it by pulling the veil back to show us what the wrong in our world is. It's not just some inconvenient things. The wrong in our world is oppression that seeks to crush. The wrong in our world is proxy war and rebellion against God. But God doesn't just lead us into righteous anger by letting us see what it truly is and the depth of it all. He does what I say in my second point here. God leads us within righteous anger. He doesn't just lead us into it. When we're in righteous anger, He leads us within it. Because He shows us 
that we can take actions to address it. If you have righteous anger about the wrong of our world, it is okay to speak up. It is okay to insist that the people who have wronged you and wronged others take responsibility for it. It is okay. If you have faced oppression and if you have been wronged, it is not a victim mentality to say that. In fact, being able to name it as what it is is an act of wisdom and strength. Take, for instance, Jesus. We read about it in our call to worship, Jesus cleansing the temple. Jesus grew incredibly angry at times in his life on earth. He was angry at the temple because what had happened was that there was in the temple structure, there was an outer court. It was called the court of the Gentiles. It was a place that God had told them to build in the temple that was specifically designated for people who were not Jewish to come near. It was the welcoming spot because God's intention was that this be a house of prayer for all nations. For people to come and hear about this God who was breaking into this world of darkness with his light. And what had happened in the time of Jesus is that people who were near, who lived in Jerusalem, at these times of great festivals of worship, they would set up a market in this place. In, in, in a sense, they were driving out Anybody who didn't have the money to pay. They were driving out uh, uh, this, this, this built-in space of welcome to turn it into a market. And it infuriated Jesus. It infuriated him. He grew angry at his disciples. You guys might remember uh, in Mark chapter 10, Jesus is, is, is teaching and people are bringing their little kids to Jesus literally trying to hand their kids to him so that Jesus will hold them and bless them. And his disciples start telling these people to go away, start rebuking them. And it literally says that Jesus was indignant. He was furious at this because they were turning children away. And he said, no, the kingdom that I've come to bring is for them. You must become like them to receive what I'm bringing. Jesus grew furious at that. He grew angry at religious leaders that tried to mock and keep out sinners and prostitutes from the grace of God. And all of this, I mean, I could keep going, but that means that part of what it means to follow Jesus in our world, it means that when injustice is present, we grow angry. I don't mean that unrighteous fury that wants to retaliate and squash somebody. Not unrighteous anger, but we grow angry at the, at the wronged. And this invitation in the psalm is an invitation to address it. And the last four verses actually may seem very shocking to us. Very shocking. Because it wishes that all who hate Zion, so people who are misuse, uh, abusing others, are what? Turned back in shame. Turned back in That makes my skin crawl. That they're turned back in shame. It wishes that they will not be able to grow and to thrive, that the blessing of God would not be theirs, that they would not prosper. Now, this is not giving us a blank check to wish that bad things will happen to people we don't like. That's not what this is. 
Remember, it speaks about righteous anger coming against oppression, against those who hate Zion, people who through their actions against others are opposed to God's purposes. Now, in the terms of the Old Testament, this would have been unrighteous kings that were bringing false worship into the temple in Jerusalem. Of course the singer of the psalm would not want them to prosper. In the time of Jesus, this would have been the religious leaders and the priests who were allowing the markets to spring up in the, in the temple that took advantage of the poor. Of course Jesus didn't want them to prosper. In our time, it's things like pastors and leaders that use their position as a platform to build their own kingdom. It is okay to be angry when you see something like that happening. It's wrong. When pastors use their power to cover up abuse or to abuse others. That should infuriate us. When employers try to take advantage of their employees, we should grow angry. When parents abuse their children, we should grow angry. When politicians use God as a prop to gain votes, we should be angry. Of course we shouldn't want that to prosper. It is not unloving, it is not wrong to say that. It is not wrong for us to oppose oppressors. Now, let me, let me add this. I don't mean go out and start starting fights with people. It's not an invitation to be a jerk. But it's okay for us to use our voices and the resources that we have when we see people using their power against other people. It is okay to pray for those who pursue using power against others. It is okay to pray that they be trapped in their own devices. It is okay to pray that they face frustration, that they would not prosper. That is not unloving. Someone, I think, who embodies this is a woman named Sophie Scholl. I don't know if you've ever heard this name, but um, Sophie was a kindergarten teacher and a devoted Christian in Germany in the 1940s. Um, and... In 1942, when she was 18 years old, she became a student at the University of Munich. Her brother was already a student there. And within the first couple of months that she was there, she started a group with these other students called the White Rose Resistance Movement. And it was a group of students and one professor who would oppose the party by writing pamphlets, trying to reveal the wickedness of what was going on. Now, in 1942, World War II had been going on for three years, and the Nazi war machine seemed almost invincible. Like they had run over and defeated France in two weeks, or six weeks, I can't remember the exact timeline. <laughs> they had been stopped in Russia, but it looked like they were going to be able to do anything they wanted to. And all of a sudden, the stories of mass executions and these concentration camps started leaking out. And people were being arrested in prison simply for disagreeing with Hitler. And in response to this, 18-year-old college freshman Sophie Scholl and the rest of the members of the White Rose began to write and distribute these pamphlets, denouncing the wrongs being done by the government. Just eight months later, eight months later, still a freshman, she was caught. She was arrested she was convicted of treason and sentenced to death. And the Nazi government put her to death. She was young. She did not have many resources. But she grew angry at seeing the oppression happening right before her. And she spoke for those who had no voice. She had a righteous anger that poured itself out on behalf 
of other people. So righteous anger, if you have a true righteous anger, let it out, air it out. Use wisdom, of course. Don't start arguments that go nowhere. Don't run out and punch somebody or anything like that. But do not squash it. Do not squash it because righteous anger can become a, a powerful motivation, a powerful fuel to courage and goodness. And always keep in mind this last point, that God not only leads us into righteous anger by showing us the depth of the darkness in our world, He not only leads us within and inviting us to respond, He leads us through righteous anger into hope. Through righteous anger into hope. This psalm is a snapshot. It's like a moment in time of the mind of somebody who's going through righteous anger. But this psalm is not the end of the story. I think uh, Jesus gives us a guide for our anger, not staying there. He leads us through righteous anger. Because righteous anger, as powerful as it can be, is not a final resting spot. If we're just angry and we stay there, that is not a good thing. Righteous anger doesn't just factor in the reality, the brokenness of our world. It does not even uh, factor in just the impact of being wrong. Righteous anger, true righteous anger, is intimately joined to hope. Hope. As verse 4 says, the Lord is righteous. He has cut me free from the cords of the wicked. Righteous anger is intimately joined with hope because it is a trust, it is a faith that God will do right that God will do justice. And the cord of wickedness and sin that hold us bound will be cut. In other words, the righteous anger of God will ensure that all that is wrong will be made right. In Jesus, God has revealed a righteousness in a way that we might not expect. He redeems and He justifies the ungodly in His sight by faith. That is us. We have come to God, and though we should be enemies... <laughs> who, who have his righteous anger burning against us in truth, or at least I should. I know what I've done and thought and said. I'm not. I'm not squashed. Not at all. I am seen as righteous in his sight by faith. In other words, God doesn't just show us the ugliness of our hearts and our world invite us to see it. He shows us the beauty of His grace. And God deals with our sin by removing it from us, by taking the penalty of our sin from us. He does not allow it to continue. And Jesus has gutted sin of His power, and He's putting it to death right now in the here and now. He has interrupted the darkness of our world by grace because He has no desire to prosper us in our selfishness and oppressors in their oppression. He has no desire to see wickedness thrive and people continue to be used up. God does that great interruption. And Jesus comes as one of us, and as one of us, He faces the penalty that is due to sin in our world, and He drags it into His grave with Him. And rising in victory and resurrection, He opens a pathway to new life, calling forth from the ashes of our sinful world the beauty of a new people, being renewed by His grace. I think Sophie Scholl and her family realized this. I mentioned that she had been uh, 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 charged and, and found guilty of treason, and that she was executed. She was allowed one last visit with her parents before she was taken to the guillotine. 
And the last thing her mom said to her was, Remember Jesus, Sophie. Remember Jesus. Her mom was telling her to remember that Jesus faced an unjust execution and that he was raised by God in vindication in his resurrection. That though the Nazis thought that they could silence Sophie, that God heard her and he would not let her death be the final word. He would vindicate her too. Remember remember Jesus, Sophie. And Sophie looked at her mom and said, You too, Mama. You too, Mama. Sophie was telling her mom, I think, that this promise wasn't just for Sophie. It was a promise for her mom too. Her mom wasn't facing execution that day. But she was facing a future with her children gone because Sophie's brother was executed as well. A future where it seemed that the Nazis had all the power and resources they could ever want. Sophie was telling her mom that not only would God not drop the ball for Sophie, he wouldn't drop the ball for her mom. He wouldn't drop the ball for his broken creation. Jesus will not stop until his healing has gone as far as the curse is found in this world. That's what we await for in hope. The renewal of all things. Not just the hope of going to heaven when we die and leaving this world behind, but the hope that God will not rest until he has dealt with the power of sin and all its effects. So in our righteous anger this morning, in our righteous anger, I ask you and me to remember Jesus. Because it is only when we see the crucified and resurrected and reigning King Jesus that our righteous anger can be bound up with hope. Not only that God will do justice, but that if God has won us to Him by grace, He can do it for people who now are even oppressing others. Jesus is alive, and in a sense it means everything is on the table. It means everything is on the table. The hope of transformation is on the table. There is no one so wicked, no oppressor so grand, that the grace of God cannot find them and free them. And with Jesus, we get an invitation to see those people, those oppressors, with compassion and hope that God does His work of putting an end to the ways of sin by calling new life to birth by His grace. If He did it for me, He can do it for anybody. If He did it for us, He can do it for others. And so in our righteous anger, I mentioned it earlier, righteous anger holds the door open. This is what I mean. We can move forward with hope. And we can have true righteous anger and always hold out grace even for those who are doing wrong. We can see oppression and sin for what it is. We can call it out. We can work against it. And at the same time, be people who abound in hope. Because if Jesus is alive, then the brokenness of our world will be healed. We can name oppression and wrong for what it is. We can insist that those who have wronged us own up to it. And at the same time, hold the door open for those who have persisted in oppression and wrong to lay down their arms and come to Jesus. Not to find a license to continue doing what they want, but to bow their knee to King Jesus, to renounce using others and to find the freedom of living for others and not themselves. So this morning, if you have righteous anger, come to Jesus with it. Don't hide it away. He knows that anger as well. Ask Him to refine that righteous anger within you and remind you that it is always joined to hope. God does not call us to be a doormat. He does not call us to be used. Holiness is not being walked all over. 
Jesus is not calling you to silence when you experience being wrong. And when others wrong you, he's leading us into righteous anger. He's leading us within it, and he's leading us through it. A righteous anger infused with hope because he's making all things new. And empowered by the beauty of this grace, let's move toward being people who address the wrong of our world as a community of hope. Following Jesus and loving our enemies. And springing from our hope in Jesus, we can move forward with anger and courage. Anger at the way things are and courage to see that they do not remain that way. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you give us guidance in righteous anger. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to open our eyes and open our hearts to see the brokenness of our world, but not despair because your beauty is greater. That you would lead us into righteous anger. That we would not walk around with blinders on, but that you would open our hearts to the cares and concerns, not just of ourselves and our families, but of our neighbors and our communities. I pray that you would lead us within righteous anger. Teach us to use grace and wisdom and how to address it, but help us to not remain silent in the face of wrong. That we would pour our lives out and give our resources and our voices to good things. And I pray, Lord, that in all of this you would lead us through righteous anger, knowing that it is joined to hope that you would give us this vision in our heart that captures us, that we will see things made new. We will see right be done. We will see crooked be made straight. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.